Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could be with us today. A lot of us are spending time outside to soak up the sunshine in the summertime. But not my guests today. They spend a lot of time underground this time of the year. They're hanging out in caves. Niagara Cave and Mystery Cave in southeastern Minnesota are open for tours to the public. Have you heard of them before? Niagara has an underground waterfall. And Mystery Cave is the longest cave in our state. And there's something special about this region of Minnesota because there are actually 400 caves in the area. These are just two of them. As I talk with my guests this morning, I want to hear from you. Our phone lines are open. If you have explored a cave in southeastern Minnesota or somewhere else in the state or the world, call me. Tell me about it. Which caves have you visited and what made it a memorable experience? Call us at 651-227-6000. Again, you can call 651-227-6000 or call 800-242-2828 as we talk about caves this morning. Let's bring in our two guests. We have Aaron Bishop on the line. Aaron is the manager of Niagara Cave in Harmony, Minnesota, and his parents own the cave. His educational background is in geology. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thanks for calling in. And we have Ian Pringle on the line, too. Ian is an interpretive naturalist with the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. He leads tours of Mystery Cave near the historic ghost town of Forestville, Minnesota. Good morning to you, Ian. Good morning. Nice to be on. Now, both of these caves are in Fillmore County, not too far from Lanesboro. I know a lot of people have gone to Lanesboro to go bike riding. And if you want to see pictures and video of uh, these caves while we talk, and and you will want to see this, uh, I want you to know that you can go to nprnews.org, hit the sections button at the top, and then click on my show page. And there you'll find a video of a a tour of Mystery Cave. And you'll also find a, a gallery of photos from Mystery Cave and Niagara Cave. So some great Great images to go along with what we're talking about today. So first, uh, Aaron and Ian, I want to hear about this affection, this love of caves that you have. Uh, Aaron, beginning with you, what is it that you find fascinating and even fun about caves? Well, uh, they are windows to the underworld. (laughs) Not too many people get to experience um, what it's like to be underground all that often, unless you work here. Um, or at other caves, of course, but it, it's a completely different environment. Folks get to experience what forests are like or what towns are like or, or busy cities or, or grasslands, but caves are just a different beast, and they just have their own personalities to them. And I was you know, surprised looking at some of the, the images I just mentioned. Uh, there's some beauty, some natural beauty under the earth. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, there are... So such variety of caves where if you see one, you've only seen one. <laughs> it, every cave has, has a complete uh, set of uh, its own types of formations, its own heights of ceilings, its passageway shapes, uh, large dome rooms. Sometimes you can get very small crevices and cracks in, in other caves. Uh, like, like I said, they, they each have their own personalities, and uh, we definitely recommend folks travel to as many caves as they want to and uh, as many as they can when they when they go scope out a region and they uh, plug in well what caves are in this area we we encourage you to go and view those because they're such a fantastic place to to visit and Ian, what about you how do you describe the uh, appeal of of caves when you're talking to people about uh, your own interest 
Yeah, kind of like how he was saying, it's just how unique each cave can be. You know, with Mystery Cave, it catches your attention right away. Because as you enter these, these these caves, you realize how long the passageways are. You realize that you're in something that is 13 miles long underground, you know, shaped out by water over you know, hundreds of thousands of years. And as you walk through these caves, you know, you notice all these different rocks, fossils, and even underground bodies of water. And, you know, with our cave specifically, they can be separated by miles and miles underground. So it just, it always amazes me right away when you enter a cave, no matter cave you're entering, it makes you feel like you're in a totally new world. Mm-hmm. And and Aaron described too, uh, each cave has character, has personality. Each one tells a different story. Yep. Yep. Exactly. It's it's just a it's always fun. It's always fun going underground and just seeing all these different features and uh, really seeing how different each cave can be. You know, I think of of caves and I instantly believe it's going to be dark and it might be maybe really cool or it might be hot. And so, <laughs> and the people that you take out on, on tours, Ian, tell us about that. Is uh, are do folks have maybe some misconceptions as they begin the tours? Yeah, you know, sometimes people are spooked just because you are going underground, and it's a new experience for some people. They've never been into these, you know, underground worlds, and it's 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 just really fun seeing people's reactions as they walk through the cave. And really, I always describe it as perspectives when you go down there, depending on what time of year, because caves in this area at least stay at one constant temperature, and it's about 48 degrees. So you go hmm. down there in July during the heat of the summer months, and it's going to feel very cold, but you go in uh, towards the... Uh, beginning of fall, beginning of October, and you go in on a 35 degree day, the cave almost feels warm. Yeah. And it's it's almost amazing how uh, different perspective on the different seasons. Yeah, 48 degrees, that that's comfortable. Uh, Aaron, <laughs> what is it about southeastern Minnesota that, that makes it, um, you know, that that makes it so that we have hundreds of natural caves? Uh, how did these caves form? And, and what is it about this region of the state that, that makes it the place for them to be? Sure. So, we're in a region called the uh, Karst country, uh, K-A-R-S-T. Uh, Karst is a type of topography that is characterized by caves or springs or disappearing streams, sinkholes, and things like that. Uh, these are all made possible because well, around 450 million years ago, during the late Ordovician period, uh, this entire region was covered by a very shallow saltwater sea, and the carbonate mud that was deposited at the bottom of that shallow sea would eventually become the limestone bedrock that we get to delve into when we go into our caves. And that's why we can find seashells or fossils of creatures that once lived in the shallow sea. Now, limestone is fairly easily dissolvable. Um, geologically, it's sort of like the salt or the sugar of rock. It, it's, mm. it's not as easily dissolvable as that, of course, but over, as Ian had mentioned, hundreds of thousands of years, as water seeps through limestone cracks and vertical fractures or horizontal uh, bedding planes, it can widen out those cracks and basically develop caves either from running water, physically eroding its way through, mm-hmm. or from chemical dissolution, kind of like if you have pop in your mouth for too long, it can start to dissolve your calcium carbonate teeth, very similar process. It's just over the, you know, a lot longer time span. So you mentioned uh, fossils and um, and seashells. What kinds of fossils uh, can you find there uh, inside Niagara Cave, Aaron? Yeah, we've got a lot of, of different fossils here. We've got endosterous cephalopods, which are ancient 
squid-like creatures. Mm. They had a protective cigar-shaped shell around them. I, I think actually uh, not too long ago we in Minnesota had a contest for what should be the state um, fossil, and Dacerocephalopod <laughs> was on that list, and I think it got beat out by the giant beaver or something like that. But uh, that's okay; beavers can be they can be fun too. But uh, in the cave, we also have different types of gastropods or snail-like fossils, mm-hmm. um, trilobites, uh, segmented organisms that uh, are related to probably closest related to like a horseshoe crab, uh, brachiopods, or ty- type of bivalve. Um, crinoids, stems, uh, lots of coral. Again, you know, type, again, these were organisms that lived in a shallow sea, so we do expect to find ocean creatures, and that's, wow. that's the type of fossils that we find down there. And Ian, do you, are there fossils uh, in Mystery Cave that you can tell us about? Yeah, there are a lot of the same organisms that uh, Aaron was just talking about. You know, a lot of the, the, the main one you'll see is the cephalopod, which is, like he was saying, an ancient squid-like creature. And it's always it's always fun to think about these creatures because, like he was saying, 450 million years old. When you look at that in the geological time scale, uh, I that's can't twice even the- wrap my hand head around that. 450 million years ago. Yeah, no, and. Uh, like I was about to say, it, it, that makes it twice as old as some of the first dinosaurs that walked this earth. And wow. when you think about that, it's just it just kind of blows me away each time. And, you know, T-Rexes walked this earth 80 to 90 million years ago. So these mm-hmm. organisms that we're looking at, and when you walk through this cave and see, uh, they're just these ancient, ancient creatures. That it's sometimes hard to fathom how old they actually are. Again, I want to remind our listeners, if you're just joining us, we're talking about uh, un- what's underground here in Minnesota and all the caves, the hundreds of caves uh, that we have, uh, many of them clustered there in southeastern Minnesota. Uh, two today that we're talking about are open for tours to the public Mystery Cave, Niagara Cave. And if you want to see photos and video uh, of these caves, you can uh, go to nprnews.org, hit the sections button at the top, and then click on my show page, and you'll find uh, a video of Mystery Cave, what it's like to take a tour there, as well as a gallery of photos from Niagara Cave and Mystery Cave. I want you to see the you know what I've been looking at uh, as we learn more about it. Also, call us if you've taken a tour of a cave and it was very memorable. I want to hear your story. 651-227-6000 or call us at 800-242-2828. Uh, Aaron, as we get into some of these terms, and I, I love how they just kind of roll off of your tongue. <laughs> uh, I understand that both Niagara Cave and Mystery Cave have uh, different types of stalactites and stalagmites. Um, how do they form? And, and what are I'm talking about when I, I say those two terms? I feel like I'm in seventh grade class again. Sure, sure. <laughs> so these are what we call speleothems or secondary limestone deposits. Uh, basically, they're formed um, in, in a, sort of like the opposite way caves are formed in, in a way. Um, again, water, slightly acidic water called carbonic acid, can dissolve calcium carbonate or limestone rock, uh, the mineral of that we call calcite. Now, once this is dissolved, it goes through the soil, or rather through the through the limestone itself, until it opens up into a say a room. Now, carbonic acid is the same thing you put in pop or soda to make it fizz. Mm-hmm. And when you open a can of pop or soda, what happens? It it fizzes, right? The the bubbles escape, and basically that's the CO two escaping the solution, leaving behind just uh, water and sugar and whatever else they put in pop. But in the cave, because the mineral that was dissolved in the solution is calcite, that carbon dioxide, when it escapes, allows that calcite to be deposited on the ceilings or the walls, or if there's enough 
of that mineral left behind as the water drips onto the floors, it can build mounds. So formations that grow from the ceiling downward are called stalactites with a C. They hold tight to the ceiling. And as the water drips on the floor, it can form stalagmites or ground formations that that form upwards. Uh, There are a whole variety of of speleothems that grow along the walls as well. And again, just like a cave, every formation has its own characteristics, its own personalities, and uh, they grow at different rates, very, very slowly, all of them, but Mm -hmm. uh, different rates depending on how much water drips down. And Ian, as, as you're giving tours, are, are, are people um, encouraged to t- take out, you know, their cameras and take pictures? And are, and what kind of comments do people make about the, you know, stalactites and stalagmites that they're seeing? Oh, yeah, of course. No, we we always recommend taking pictures of uh, anything you see within the cave, flash photography included. And, you know, the, like he was saying, the, the formations, depending on where you're in the cave, is they, they can be totally different. And... He was describing the stalagmites, stalactites. Uh, you got also flowstone within Mystery Cave, rimstone dams, and then there's a kind of a fun, fun one that's called cave bacon or draperies. And this is when water flows slowly uh, down a sloped ceiling before dripping on the floor. Calcite can build up in these lines, and you see these textured lines grow through these drapery-like structures, making it look like a big slap of bacon almost. Okay, I'm envisioning people sitting up a little straighter right now. Did he say cave bacon? (laughs) We have a photo of that on on our website, and it looks kind of like orangey, kind of brown. I don't know if it's the lighting. It looks like a huge slab of bacon on the side of the wall. So, yeah, you know, I always joke around. Part of me is convinced that when they were naming some of these formations, they just spent a little bit too much time underground, got hungry, <laughs> and then started naming all these rocks after different foods. Because you have, uh, you also have something called cave popcorn and even uh, carrot sticks. And uh, the carrot sticks are just stalagmites or stalactites that mm-hmm. uh, grow. And then acidic organic material will build up within these formations, giving them almost like an orange color, making them look like a carrot stick. All so right. uh, it's a kind of a fun thing down there. Yeah. Um, okay. So we've talked about the uh, stalactites, the stalagmites sound and, and the cave bacon. But we also know that there's some creatures that move around inside caves. So I need to get to that. Uh, and uh, let's start with the creatures that live in Mystery Cave. Anything living in there that moves around that I should know about? So, so yeah, you'll find, uh, of course, bats within Mystery Cave, uh, other little critters such as rodents, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mice, chipmunks, mm-hmm. raccoons. But these are all creatures that just make their way into the cave and spend just limited amounts of their lives within the cave. But then you have organisms that have fully adapted and evolved to survive all these cave-like conditions. And, you know, our cave, it's the 48 degrees Fahrenheit, the 96% humidity, the, the pitch darkness. So we have uh, multiple organisms, and we actually brought in a, a organization uh, to do a survey a couple of years ago, and they found uh, over 100 species of these microvertebrae within the cave. One of them um, is unique to Mystery Cave and, and is not found in any other cave in the world. I want to talk specifically about bats, Ian, um, that, um, the bats uh, in Mystery Cave and um, bats overall in Minnesota. Um, they've been struggling. Tell us what's been happening. Yeah, so one thing to know about bats, and uh, across North America in general, they're suffering from something called white nose syndrome. And this is something that affects bats that hibernate. And what it is, really, it's it's a fungus that will grow on their body. It'll irritate them wake them up they leave the cave during the harsh winter conditions and aren't able to survive the ones that stay in the cave uh 
when they wake up during hibernation simply don't have enough reserves to make it till springtime. So because of this, uh, within Mystery Cave, we've lost over 90% of our bats uh, in less than 10 years. Wow. And across the state in general and, and across the U.S., we've, we've lost millions of bats due to white nose syndrome. And it's been a, a terrible thing uh, for our bat species uh, here in the state. And um, Aaron, what about Niagara Cave? Are there bats there or no? There are not bats in our cave, which I find to be unfortunate, but other people are relieved. Um, <laughs> the building that we have over top of the cave prevents bats from coming in now. And mm. even prior to the building being built over top of the entrance, uh, there was no evidence of bats ever being in the cave, no skeletons or guano or anything like that. So we do not have any bats or actually any mammals in, in our cave at all, just uh, little critters, um, you know, crickets, little gastropod snails, sometimes worms, things that you generally don't see on the tour. Mm. And, and if you can, as much as you can on the radio, um, give us a tour of Niagara Cave. So again, I'm standing at the entrance. What happens when you begin a tour? What is it like? Can you describe what you see and hear and, and just what, what that walk is like beginning at the entrance, Aaron? Yeah, sure. So the entrance is right away in the gift shop here. Uh, you travel downstairs. That's the big difference between Niagara Cave and Mystery Cave, one of them anyway. Mm. Um, we go through the sinkhole of the cave where it was first discovered back in 1924, and that's 100 steps, staircase steps, to get into the cave. Mm. Uh, so you're at the main level of the cave, and you hear the sound of water, uh, the rushing sound. Uh, we typically take folks down to see the wishing well and then the waterfall next, which is in the largest room of the cave. The waterfall uh, is about a 50-foot drop, and you get to walk on, on a bridge uh, 50 feet from the ground and 50 feet from the ceiling. So it's a 100-foot high room, and you're in the middle of it looking down at our waterfall. Okay, okay, i got to pause you there. I'm already exhausted. Now, I've walked down 100 steps. No, I'm not exhausted. That's a lot to take in there. A hundred steps to go down, and then there's there's a a a well and a waterfall. Yes, yep. There's uh, an underground stream through our cave. The namesake of the cave is the waterfall. Um, they mm -hmm. called it the Underground Niagara when it was first uh, discovered. And uh, I should say that's another sixty-five staircase steps. So if <laughs> thank you if for that counting, disclosure. You know, um, <laughs> But, but yeah, after after the waterfall, we take guests back up to uh, one of the original levels because uh, going down to the waterfall is sort of a branch off. But then the rest of the cave is pretty much one straight shot, and mm -hmm. you descend slowly over time, uh, going through canyon-like passageways where the uh, ceilings can be upwards of 20 to 100 feet high. Uh, we show you fossils in there. Um, in the very beginning of the cave, like I said, it sounds like rushing water, but as you move away from that stream, it gets gets a lot quieter and in the middle of the cave it's fairly dry and so if you have no movement no lights on it's dead silent and completely black in the middle of the cave there um, it would be completely black in the beginning of the cave as well but it's that dead silence that is the key difference and then moving to the very end of the cave it gets wet again as there are a lot more formations growing in the cave and mm -hmm. the sound of the water dripping in that last room of the cave is a wholly un unique experience. And again, with the lights off, people can experience, uh, if they're lucky enough, <laughs> the, the depth of uh, the sound that the water makes as it echoes in all of the rooms. 
That's, you did a great job describing that. It sounds like an adventure. Uh, again, uh, if you want to see some of the photos of Niagara Cave, go to nprnews.org, hit the sections button at the top, and then if you click on my show page, we have a gallery of pictures of both Niagara Cave and Mystery Cave, uh, as well as a video of a tour of Mystery Cave. You can also uh, get there by going to the NPR News Facebook page. You can see these images. And Erin, I have in my notes, too, in the introduction, I said that your parents own Niagara Cave. Uh, how does that come to be? How, how is it possible? To own a cave. Well, uh, from my understanding, in the in the state of Minnesota, uh, if you own land on the surface, you own it all the way to the center of the earth, uh, barring other previous agreements. Um, so, if you own land on the surface and you find a cave underneath on your own property, then that cave happens to be yours. How would I know to look for a cave? Or how do people know that it's even a possibility? Um. Good question. <laughs> there, there are inklings. There are depressions on the surface. In our, in our, in our case, in southeastern Minnesota, we've got a lot of sinkholes. Not every sinkhole mm-hmm. leads into a cave, for sure. And and uh, but some of them do, such as a Niagara Cave. Um, some people find caves through um, horizontal entrances. Uh, I believe, like Mystery Cave, where during the I don't want to take away Mystery Cave's thunder or anything, but when the, uh, that cave was discovered, my understanding is uh, there was melted snow or there, there was a warm space because it was found in the wintertime and uh, oh. there's... What's going on here? 48 degrees in the cave. Yeah, mm-hmm. when there's 48 degrees in the cave, it melts the snow around there and there's uh, an opening into that side wall there. And so um, if your parents owned the cave, what was it like for you when you were growing up? Was it like, Aaron, don't go near the cave? Or <laughs> what was it like for you as a child? Oh, no, no. Uh, so my brother and I, um, he... he uh, we co-managed the cave here. When we were younger, we would go uh, anywhere we could fit, <laughs> much to my uh, mother's unhappy. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we were always with, with, you know, always bring three people with you. Um, that, that's kind of the rule. But, uh, you know, if if we got stuck in there, well, how, you know, how how did you go and get him? She would ask my dad. It's like, well, if he got in, he can get out. And, uh, and that's, that, you know, that was true. I made it out there. Um, but, no, there are definitely places that I visited then that I cannot fit through You don't now. fit through now? Is that okay to do that at, at Mystery Cave, to ex- explore through, I'm, I'm sorry, Aaron, um, at, at Niagara Cave, to, to wiggle through passageways? Is that part of a tour? Not through our cave, no. Um, we do just a general uh, one-hour guided walk through the cave, through mm-hmm. the accessible part that people don't have to crawl through. You might have to duck occasionally, but uh, there's no tight spaces that we force people through at all. We we don't even have an option for that. We we leave that to mystery cave folks. Okay. Um, again, we're talking about exploring caves. If you've explored a cave in southeastern Minnesota or someplace else in the world, tell me about it. Uh, where have you visited and what made it a memorable experience? Call us at 651-227-6000 or at 800-242-2828. Uh, before we talk more about Mystery Cave, Ian, I, I want to take a phone call from some of our listeners uh, in St. Louis Park. Tori is on the line. Good morning, Tori. Uh, and what do you want to tell us about caves? Um, I would start by just saying I am super claustrophobic and also very afraid of the dark. So going into caves is not my what? Uh, first priority. But yeah. I got the opportunity in Sicily to go hiking on Mount Etna, which was also very active and had spewed lava a couple nights before. Um, but during that hike, the the guy took us in a cave, and then there was this really cool historical part of it, which was way hun- back in the day, hundreds of years ago, before anyone had refrigerators, they would store snow in that cave. 
and then in the summer, they would go up there and bring it down to the city, and the kids from the wealthy families would um, be able to enjoy snow cones on 110 degrees Sicilian summer days, and I just thought that was so cool. Wow, they could store it, uh, even when it was hot, they could store it inside the cave. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. That's uh, Tori. Uh, and, and Tori, claustrophobic uh, and afraid of heights. You said, how, how did that work out, though? That didn't bother you, the tour? I mean, right? Like, you're in Sicily, so you kind of got to go big or go home. So <laughs> I went for it. You went for it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, but like caves have a lot of different uses and lots of fun things down there. So interesting conversation. Thank you, Tori Carling and from St. Louis Park. Let's take another phone call uh, in Rochester. Martin's on the phone. Hey, Martin, what do you want to tell us about caves? Hey, um, yeah, so I was uh, I, I got an email from Aaron letting me know that this was going to occur. And, of course, I, I mm-hmm. farm and missed, missed this email. But I, I, I have a, um, a pretty extensive caving background in Minnesota. I was president of the Minnesota Caving Club. For many years, and now I've handed that position off to my best friend, Emily. I didn't know there was a caving club. That's wonderful. There is. Um, So we are kind of the wild cavers, so to speak. And I've known the Bishop family for years and, uh, you know, and their experiences in caves and the the commercial side of it. But we are the non-commercial wild caving side. So what's um, what's so, your favorite favorite story? Or do you have a, a memorable trip yeah, through a cave? So I, I believe you're going to have John on the line later, but this is a trip in in one of his caves, the Minnesota Cave Preserve Cave Systems, and it's Tyson Spring Cave. And uh, we were in the ground uh, for 16 hours. Uh, it's called the Long Crawl, and the Long Crawl is for over 4,000 feet, uh, where it's never uh, taller than 20 inches. And most or all the time, there's a foot of water in that uh, passage. So there, uh, the, as uh, Aaron said, 48-degree cave temperature, that's the same temperature as the water that's in the cave. So we have to wear heavy wetsuits. And um, that is uh, the most uh, important discovery of that passage is that it's the first time that we encountered a groundwatershed divide. So within that passage... Mm-hmm the groundwater actually starts to flow a different direction when you're in that passage. Um, So that was the first time that that's ever encountered Mm -hmm. in the state of Minnesota and the only place that we know of that we've encountered it. So uh, I do work in uh, groundwater and studying groundwater. And of course that's connected to cave and karst systems and karst aquifers. In fact, we're working with the Bishop family on getting a continuous drip uh, sampler in their cave Mm-hmm. And that that my work is important in that in that we collect I collect uh, water that drips from the ceilings of the caves, and remember that that water that drips from the ceiling is also shared as drinking water with many people across Southeast Minnesota. In fact, we have one cave where a well pipe goes from the ceiling of the cave through the floor of the cave. Mm. So I'll study that land use above the caves and what the water quality is inside of the cave and work with landowners and farmers above, farmers like myself, on implementing practices that reduce nitrates in groundwater, specifically our Mm. our drinking water. And that helped with... Yeah, I I just have a question. I'm still stuck with the fact that you you chose to do a 16-hour crawling trip. Uh, What was that like for that many hours to crawl through a cave? Um, It's a long time to be in a cave, and our and our bodies and our minds like adjust to that. Like just if we're on the land surface, if you're okay with 
with that in the first place. I am adventurous enough to go do that, and I am not claustrophobic. And trust Mm -hmm. me, you will find out in a 16-hour trip (laughs) where it's that tight if you are claustrophobic. Because it just keeps going. And that's Mm -hmm. why we keep going, because we are the very first people to enter that passage and see those things ahead of us. And where else in the state of Minnesota can you experience that? Right. Well, Martin, thank you so much. Martin in Rochester uh, sharing his story. Wow. So uh, what do we need to know about uh, water in uh, caves, Aaron? I'm glad Martin was there because uh, I I, I did, did, like you said, I did try to send him an email. Um, (laughs) The thing about caves is uh, it is underground, of course, quite obvious. Um, but we get to see what happens underground that other folks might not think about after the rain uh, falls down to the surface or the soil. And uh, we do test for nitrates in our cave, and the nitrates, unfortunately, are high. We can't drink any of the water in our cave, even though the stream mm-hmm. water and the uh, wishing well and the waterfall are literally spring water before the spring. Um, the nitrates are, are, are too high in contaminants, and, and there are other things like pesticides and such in the water as well. So we don't allow anyone to drink uh, the water in the cave. Mm-hmm. Even the water that drips from the ceiling, the stalactites and such, uh, has a high concentration of nitrates, uh, which is, mm-hmm. is going to be from the surface contamination. And, and, and before we go to a news break, I, I do want to get back to, to the story about how Mystery Cave was discovered. Um, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, you know, kind of like Aaron was describing, it was by accident. It was by a man named Joe Petty. It was 1937. It was negative 15 degree, uh, negative 15 degree day, and he was walking along the stream bank when he looked off to the side and noticed a bare, muddy patch in the snow on that negative 15 degree day. So that caught mm-hmm. Joe's attention. He crawled up the hill, started checking out the hole in the ground. He wanted to explore it a little better, so he went back home, grabbed a crowbar, came back to that hole in the ground he started poking at the rocks all of a sudden the rocks <laughs> fell through the hole the crowbar slipped between his fingers and the story goes it fell down 15 <laughs> feet <laughs> so i guess the way i describe it is joe was kind of a different guy he wanted that crowbar back so he ran home grabbed two horse ropes that were seven foot in length tied them together went back to that hole crawled down to 15 feet he also brought two flashlights with them and when he got to the bottom of the hole apparently took over an hour to reach the bottom and then his flashlight had just enough juice to see two caverns going in two different directions discovering mystery cave so totally by accident you know what the guy losing his crowbar <laughs> but then why the name why is it named mystery cave so this was actually later on um there was uh, a gentleman named Clarence Prohaska. He was actually the second owner of the cave. Because one thing to know about Joe, he actually wasn't the owner of the cave. He was just the discoverer of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the family named the Blakeleys owned the cave. And Clarence worked for the Blakeleys in the uh, late 30s, early 40s. And he was doing work down there. And he had a wheelbarrow full of uh, gravel. And as he was pulling or pushing his wheelbarrow it tipped over the gravel spilled everywhere and he said it's a mystery anybody would want to work down here so <laughs> the name kind of <laughs> stuck since then let's take another phone call from a listener before i talk to another guest in rosemount we've got uh kirsten on the line thank you for holding and, and what do you want to tell us about uh, caves that you have toured kirsten yeah i have been to a couple cave and caves in mexico so on the yucatan peninsula mm-hmm. um there's these freshwater caves called cenotes um, and they can do guided tours. It's just north of Tulum. The one I went to, it's called Dos Ojos mm-hmm. um, Cenote, which means two eyes. 
I did a snorkeling tour, which was super cool. So it's a guided tour. You wear a life vest, you have a snorkel, and a flashlight so you can look at the rock formations underneath. And then there's also some space above your head where you can see, like, the stalagmites and the stalactites above and below. And then the one I went to came to a bigger opening with a much higher roof um, with an opening where bats were flying in and out. So that was a really oh. cool and experience. <laughs> yeah, very, very cool. I highly recommend it um, if you like traveling to Mexico. And Christian, you're here in the Twin Cities, but have you toured some of these caves down in south southeastern Minnesota? Um, I've heard of Mystery Cave. It's been a few years for me. But mm-hmm. yes, I, I was actually kind of inspired this weekend. I might go... Um, and see some more, like the one you guys are talking about, the Niagara Cave. Mm-hmm. It sounds, they sound cool, don't they? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. All right. Thank you, uh, Kirsten Rosemount, for giving us a call, telling us about uh, tours that you have done in Mexico. Um, I want to bring in another guest. So right now, I want to introduce you to John Ackerman. John is the founder of the Minnesota Cave Preserve and the Minnesota Caving Club, which we just heard about a, a couple of minutes ago. Uh, both of these organizations uh, aim to preserve, study, and protect underground wilderness. And uh, John, I can tell you, is a lifelong cave explorer who actually owns 45 caves that cover 30 36 miles underground. All of them are in southeastern Minnesota, except for one, which is in Iowa. Hi, John. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Angela. Hi. 36 miles of caves. Now, now how did this come to be, John? What are you doing there? Well, uh, it's my passion to discover caves, and um, I've been very successful at it. Uh, I started off in the mines, in the man-made tunnels in Lilydale in, in St. Paul mm-hmm. around 1971, 72, and then uh, a, a caver from the Twin Cities named David Gerbeth introduced me to the real caves, the limestone caves in southeastern Minnesota. And uh, shortly after that, in 1990, I uh, was working in a cave called Spring Valley Caverns, just north of Spring Valley, Minnesota, and broke through, and I found five miles of pristine passages with meandering stream passages, thundering waterfalls, deep pits and crevices, forests of colorful formations, and one space was large enough to hold a big house. And really at that point, you know, I made a commitment. Somebody's got to, somebody's got to protect this cave. And I made a commitment to discover and purchase as many cave systems as I could and John, to protect I, and preserve them. I understand that, that your caves are not open to the public, but instead you allow scientists to come in and research them. So what kind of research are they doing in your caves? Oh, there's um, there's all kinds of speleothem dating. They can date uh, speleothems to, to get a snapshot of what the weather was like maybe 115,000 years ago. Uh, they, can st- they study bats. Uh, they study... Uh, Mm-hmm. Like Martin said, groundwater mm-hmm. flow, they they know where the groundwater goes. They've got it all mapped out like a road map. They study sediment layers, fossils. Uh, really, uh, caves are, uh, they, they really act as repositories of geological data mm-hmm. that would otherwise be lost to the surface erosion. So these are like underground laboratories, and they're extremely rare and extremely valuable to scientists. And I understand that that you found some of the the oldest bones in the state uh, ever found. Uh, tell me about the discovery of these bones and how significant well, was that that find. Well, we we have a couple of caves that uh, probably are half a million million years old, and they have 
streams flowing through them. It's black down there. It's dark. It's cold. Things don't really change. And we uh, started finding bones and uh, came across with a saber-toothed cat skull. And um, what is that? Later found a, a, saber-toothed... a saber-toothed cat. They 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 they're not from around here, but but the paleontologists couldn't believe that uh, we found it in the cave. They thought maybe we bought it on eBay or something, and they came into the cave, and they found more saber-toothed cat bones. We we also find an, found an ancient moose antler. These are dated twice as old as the uh, mammals that they thought roamed around here. They, they thought 12,000 years was the limit. These bones were dated to over 22,000 years old. Mm. They even extracted DNA out of the, the, the uh, saber-toothed cat skull and found it was even a rarer species. So this made national and international news. Wow. And in the introduction, I said that you were one of the founders of the Minnesota Caving Club. Who can join and, and, and what's, what's your vision for the Minnesota Caving Club? The vision is uh, when I'm gone to have them run all these, these cave preserves and uh, act as uh, stewards of the cave. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as joining the club, uh, we accept all members. You know, we have so many caves that uh, there's room for everybody that, that's a cave enthusiast. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, uh, there's uh, a couple of caves that we can have scout groups and nature groups tour, but we're definitely not set up uh, like Niagara Cave or Mystery Cave, which these are pristine wild caves, and, and they're just pristine in every sense. That's our that's our goal. And then I also have in my notes here, um, John, that, that you have a, a coffin for yourself in one of your caves and that you would like to be buried in one of your caves. Well, that's actually true. Um, <laughs> I, uh, uh, you know, for for since the beginning of time, uh, mankind has been buried in catacombs and 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 cave systems, and uh, uh, even Jesus Christ was was buried in a cave. So in in America here, we don't think of think it's kind of weird somebody wants to be buried in a cave, but once you spend the time that I've spent in these caves, they're they're un- unbelievably. Uh, Awesome. It's it's like a, a whole other place in time, and uh, so I'm going to be buried in uh, in one of my caves in a stainless steel coffin, so it doesn't rust, and uh, <laughs> better than being buried in a farm field, you know. John Ackerman, the founder of the Minnesota Cave Preserve, as well as the Minnesota Caving Club. Uh, Both of the organizations, as I mentioned earlier, uh, aim to preserve, study, and protect underground wilderness. And John owns 45 caves there. John, thank you for sharing your story uh, with us. I appreciate uh, talking, having an opportunity to talk with you. Yeah, thank you. All right, let's go back to the phone line to talk to listeners. I'm asking you, like, have you visited a cave? What stands out uh, in your memory of that uh, visit? And and what do you want people to know about caves? 651-227-6000 in Woodbury. Matthew's on the phone. Hi, Matthew. Thank you for waiting. What do you want to tell us? Hello, um, I'm an avid caver, and I just wanted to offer a comment on maybe the difference between commercial and wild caves or Commercial caves have, you know, the clear operation and they control the safety and visiting of the cave. And wild caves have, have none of that infrastructure. And so um, I just wanted to offer that wild caves are very dangerous inherently and uh, in general shouldn't be explored without proper training or, or um, you know, equipment and expertise. Right, because it can be dangerous. We've seen news reports. I mean, people have gotten lost and hurt in caves. But what is a wild cave? What is that definition? 
I would say Wild Cave is of any cave that doesn't really have sort of that commercial presence and regulation. Right. So, uh, mm-hmm. Your guest, John, he owns and, and explores Wild Caves, which is, you know, he invites people to come and do research or explore them. But there's not, you know, a gatekeeper and someone telling you to put a helmet on and, and carry a flashlight, you know. Because you need equipment and you need to know where you're yeah. going. I mean, the basic, the most basic safety equipment would be a helmet, three sources of light, and uh, to never cave alone and tell mm-hmm. someone where you're going. That would be the most basic um, thing that any caver would tell you. So you have experience in working in caves or leading oh, tours? Quite a bit, yeah. I've, I've explored caves on the East Coast and in, in the Northeast. Um, I'm part of an organization called the National Speleological Society, which is kind of a member organization that helps explore and conserve caves. So you have training in this? Yes. Yeah. They offer training on Mm -hmm. proper safety. They offer, um, there's rescue training, some basic medical training. Um, They do scientific work, exploration and surveying as well. Mm. Matthew, thank you, Matthew and Woodbury. I'm so glad uh, that this listener listener brought that up. The safety issues involved in exploring caves. And uh, Ian, as someone with the Department of Natural Resources who leads the tours there at Mystery Cave, what do you want people to know about uh, where you tour a a cave and how to remain safe? Yeah, so... um one thing we are always concerned about is the safety of our guests and the scenic route is is a great tour it leads out of the main entrance out of the main visitor center here and it's a very accessible route you can actually get wheelchairs strollers through there uh, just fine it's not fully ada approved but we have it ramped we have it available for people with wheelchairs and mm-hmm. and then strollers and with those um, we're always telling people you know watch their headspace watch their footing because you know it's 96 percent humidity down there you walk on steel grates they can be slick so we're always conscious of everybody's safety and then uh, one thing i haven't really described is that this cave actually has two different entrances to it uh, the one i just described the scenic tour it leaves from and then separated eight miles underground you can reach the other entrance of mystery cave or it's about two miles as the crow flies on the surface mm-hmm. but that uh, entrance is a much more rustic experience you're going to be on compacted dirt floors it's uneven terrain and with that we always encourage and Actually, it's mandated that you go down there with closed toe shoes, uh, good traction. And then we always recommend on whatever tour you're going to be on a nice sweater or something because of that 48 degrees. But Ian, what about the unsupervised caves, these wild caves that may be um, on someone's property? Um, and it's the concerns that, that, you know, oh, let's go in there and look. Uh, what would you say to people about that? I would like he, uh, the gentleman was just talking about, you know, unless you're trained, and you have the knowledge and experience to explore these caves, uh, just just don't, you know, you have these societies like the National Speleological Survey. Uh, one, there's another one called the Minnesota Speleological Society. And these are organizations that are filled with people that have the proper training, the proper knowledge to explore these caves safely. And they're always looking for members. So, you know, mm-hmm. join these organizations, meet these people and explore these caves responsibly. And Aaron, anything that you would say to our listeners about just, uh, you know, safety issues uh, if you're thinking about exploring a cave? Yeah, I would echo everything that Ian and the other guests said. Uh, safety is always the number one concern. And again, the very basics, of course, always tell somebody where you're going, when you plan on being back. Um, Don't go alone, right? You never go alone. Absolutely. Never go alone. Bring extra lights and things like that. But uh, again, I would I would certainly uh, communicate with the Minnesota Speleological Survey or other caving groups uh, before just randomly venturing into a cave. Um, wild caves are not necessarily um, 
they haven't been vetted, I guess, in, in terms of safety necessarily, mm-hmm. and so it's it's definitely something to to um, be cautious about. We talk a lot about environmental issues and climate change on this program. How will climate change affect caves uh, moving forward? What do you think, Ian? Oh, so really your, your cave temperature is one constant temperature because it's the average temperature of your geological region. So this area has that average temperature about 48 degrees. So with that, if you go north, you'll have colder caves because of colder average temperatures. South, you'll have warmer caves with warmer average temperatures. So um, one thing that's kind of interesting is we do record temperature throughout the year within Mystery Cave. And one thing we notice is that it increases about a degree, a degree to a degree and a half uh, every summer during the tour season. And we attribute that to us just walking through it, the body heat being emitted, the lights we turn on, uh, even emit a little bit of heat. And it's enough to increase that average temperature about a degree to a degree and a half just during the tour season. But uh, we notice because we record temperature throughout other areas of the cave other than the tour route, and it stays at that constant temperature. So, um, And, and Aaron, um, do, do you see any changes coming or have you noticed any changes because of environmental changes with caves? Yeah, so probably the biggest changes we've seen uh, would be the impacts from heavy rainfall, heavy mm. and targeted rainfall. Um, 2018, Harmony, Minnesota, our, our hometown here is Harmony, and uh, you know it broke the state record for most rainfall in a single year at, I think, 60.2 inches of rain, and we felt every inch of rain here at the cave. And, uh, you know, we can get water in the cave. It's not dangerous. It's very slow when water rises in the cave, um, but the amount of the number of times that we've had to close off certain portions of the lower rooms because of uh too much water coming mm-hmm. in again very slowly it's a it's not an issue in terms of safety so much it's just it just fills the room it it just backs up into those last and lowest rooms of the cave so they're and, not accessible and i i want to let you guys uh both know we're out of time for the hour but i have learned so much uh thank you so much for sharing uh, all of your knowledge and expertise about caves we've been talking with ian pringle an interpretive naturalist with the minnesota department of natural resources he leads tour of mystery cave in forestville minnesota and aaron bishop the manager of niagara cave there in harmony minnesota again pictures and video at nprnews.org or on the npr news facebook page check it out this conversation was produced by Danelle Cloutier. We'll talk again tomorrow morning at 9. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.